Ah, so we are in a series called Different. And our goal for this series is to learn to live a holy life. What does it mean to live a holy life? What does it mean to be set apart for God? What does it mean to live a life that honors God? Well, this morning we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive. In Luke chapter 8, verse 17, we read this. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. And nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. It's kind of sobering. How do you live when, when no one is watching you and you think you can get away with it? How do you live your life day to day when you think that no one is actually watching how you're living your life, what you're saying, what you're doing, and you think you can get away with what you're doing. Um, What do you listen to? What are you watching? What are you looking at on the internet? Um, And how how do you treat your family when you're behind closed doors? Not here at church, not in front of other people and putting on the... But how do you treat other people? How do you treat your family members when those doors are closed? Here's a question for all of us. Um, Would we live the way that we're living right now if our family, the people closest to us, if our family and our friends could see what we were doing? Would we live the way we're living now? We act the way we're acting now. We do the things that we're doing now. And this is really difficult. We need to ask ourselves a question. Um... You know, the Bible says to test yourself, see whether you're in the faith. Don't you know that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. These are important times in our lives where, you know, there's a Sunday morning like this where God may come and speak to us in a way that he's never spoken to us before. And the only way to do that is to reflect on our lives and ask, ask ourselves. Ask, I need to ask myself, you need to ask yourself, is my faith a facade? Is my faith just external? I've been going to churches all my life and I went through confirmation and I did this and I did this and I went through all these things. I've done, I went through all the rules. I've obeyed all the rules. But do I live it out in my life, in my inner life? That's what we're talking about this morning. Do I live it out in my inner life? Is it, is it just external? Is, it, is my faith just a put on? I'm in a family or, you know, a lot of Christians in my family and I want to get along with my family. I want to go along with my family. So I put on, I just kind of do what everyone else does. I say what everyone else says. Well, this morning I want to talk about what it means to have an authentic faith. What does it truly mean to have an authentic faith? I want to talk about what it means to be set apart for God when no one is watching. When it's just you and the Lord. Or when you're in a situation where people don't know who you are. Are, are. are you living out a Christ-like walk when no one that you know is watching? Now, before we get started, I want to say that what I'm talking about this morning um, is not going to take place overnight. 
Okay, so I want to be encouraging. This is really important for a sermon like this. All right, right up front. This is not, this doesn't take place overnight. You're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and have achieved everything we're going to talk about this morning. Not going to happen. This is a lifelong endeavor. Okay, this is something we desire in our hearts to do and the people we want to become and then we work toward that. So it's not a, it's not a one and done kind of thing. It, it, it is something that we will be working on for the rest of our lives. Listen, Rome was wasn't built in a day, right? It wasn't built in a day. It take all these things take time. Building spiritual character is a process. The Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us it's a process. In Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14 it says, "Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal." Not there yet. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's a goal that we have in mind. We all, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will want to be more like him. Period. This is not like, I'm not guessing. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you will want to be more like him. And it's something we want to continually in our lives focus on and work through. Okay? And do the best that we can do. Take those, take those steps forward. Constantly taking steps forward. Each of us, each of us needs to work on this daily. We need to decide daily. We need to decide hourly sometimes, right? I mean, let's be honest. Not only a daily practice, it's an hourly practice. Will I be obedient to Jesus Christ? That's the question. Will I be obedient to God's word or not? I think you, I think we've all heard the saying that our character is defined, okay? It's defined by who we are when no one's watching. Our character is defined by who we, who I am when no one is watching. Now before I move on, I need to, some, I need to do some clarifying here. Clarification. There's a difference between character and reputation. Okay? Character and reputation. Reputation is what other people think about you. How you live your life and what you put off when you're around other people. That's reputation. It's what other people think of you. Character is who you actually are. And there's a difference. Character is who you are. It doesn't matter what other people think, what other people feel, whatever else. It's who you are. The question is, do I really want to have godly character or not? Do I really want to be set apart for God, set apart for Jesus Christ or not? Because I'll be honest with you, that's what Christianity is all about. And here's the amazing thing. And I'm going to talk about this next week. People say, well, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. This is, this is the way there. This is the way to happiness, to peace, joy, contentment, happiness. It's through holiness. You say, what are you talking about? We'll get there, okay? We're going to talk about it next week. But I'm telling you, the desires of your heart, the things that you long for are found, okay, on this path. The path of holiness, the path of being set apart for God. Everything else is a path that will lead you in the wrong direction to a place you don't want to be around people you don't want to be around. Stuck with someone you don't want to be stuck with. I'm telling you, it all starts with living a holy life. 
And having and God giving you the ability to discern and make the right choices. Choices that will bring that. I'm going to use the word happiness because it's biblical. Use that and bring that happiness. Bring that joy. Bring that peace. Bring that contentment. It all comes through this path. Now, if I say to you, do you want to build godly character? Do you want to be set apart for God? Most people in the room are going to say, yes, absolutely, that's what I want. But that's easier said than done. It really is. That is easier, that's easier said than done. Let's be honest. It is pretty, it is pretty simple, okay, to try to be godly when you're surrounded people who are, who are trying to be godly as well. At least verbalizing the fact that they want to be godly. It is easier to be godly or set apart for God when you're on a retreat, a high school retreat or a women's retreat or a men's retreat, or you go on a missions trip, right? And you're surrounded, you're doing, you're serving God, you're surrounded by people who are choosing to serve God as well. That's a little bit easier to to pull off. But what happens when you start... Surrounding yourself with people who don't want to be godly, who are not living that out and are verbally saying, that's not my goal whatsoever. I don't want to be godly. Or, better yet, you find yourself alone with your own sinful nature. You're there alone, you're on vacation, okay, no one knows who you are, you're by yourself in your house, whatever the case may be, you're alone with your sinful nature, then it becomes more difficult. That's where it becomes really difficult, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. How do we achieve what God expects us to achieve here? See, here's the thing. There's no doubt every single person in this room, okay, all of us, pastors, elders, uh, people who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ, everyone struggles in some area, okay? Well, you're the quiet one in the family. Oh, you're, that, that, you know, people say, well, that, she's so quiet or he's so quiet, he's not, he doesn't struggle. Yeah, 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 you do. Yes, you do. Maybe, maybe you really struggle with lying or deceit. But you're really quiet, and so no one really picks up on the things that you struggle with. But we all, we all struggle in different areas of our lives. We all struggle. Most of us face temptation on a regular basis to compromise our character. Whether it's at work, whether it's school, whatever it is. There is constant stress, there is constant pressure to compromise your character. Your character being who you are. It, it never, and I'll tell you, I hate, to, I hate to break the bad news to you, but when you graduate from high school or junior high into high school, high school into college, you graduate, it never stops. There's constant pressure to conform, to become, to compromise your godly character. Maybe that's what the, why the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 7 through 9, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, listen to what he says, train yourselves to be godly. There's no one in this room, okay, who's going to achieve something great if you don't train yourself in that area, whatever it is. And he says, train yourself. I'm up here, we're talking about being godly, about being holy, about being set apart for God. And Paul's saying, you need to train yourself to be godly. He says, for physical training, is of some value 
But godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Paul says that we need to train ourselves. This is so important. The Greek word that's translated to train yourself, those two words, is gymnasdo. It's where we get the, the, the English word gymnasium, this whole idea of training. The word literally means to exercise naked. That's what it means. And that's exactly what the athletes, the ancient Greek athletes, male athletes would do. They would exercise naked. They would, do their, they would basically do their games naked. They'd run around. That's, that was their thing. Why would Paul use that word here? Okay, this is, this is really significant. So the word literally meant to exercise naked. What this passage is talking about is it's, it's using it figuratively. Okay, and, and Paul saying to the Christians that you guys need to train yourselves inwardly, spiritually. You need to train yourselves in your inward spiritual life. Where you're standing, if you will, naked before God because we are. There's nothing hidden. Remember the first passage we read? There's nothing hidden that will not be exposed. You can't live your life and think that you can think things or that you can do things or you can be away from here, but no one's going to whatever God sees it. And Paul is saying the only way to accomplish what I'm asking you to accomplish is to realize that you need to live to an audience of one God and your thoughts and your attitudes, your mind all need to be reflected of God and your relationship with him because he sees everything we do. He sees every thought that we have. The funny thing is people think that Satan's like God where he can read your mind. Satan cannot read your mind. The enemy can't read your mind. They can only hear your words, see your actions. God can actually read your mind. So this passage is saying, in other words, even though other people can't see how you're living your life, God can. And it's even beyond that. God goes beyond that. And he sees our thoughts. He sees our motives. He sees our attitudes. And he's constantly, train yourself, okay? Constantly train yourself to work on your attitude and make sure your attitude is right with God. You see, when your mom or dad says, hey, you need to whatever, and you say, yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely, absolutely. Your back is turned. They don't see this. Right? The eyes are rolling, but you're, you're walking the other direction. You know who sees it, though? God sees your attitude. God is saying you need to work on that attitude. You need to work on your motives. You need to work on your thoughts. You need, and we need to, uh, we need to open up our hearts and realize that God is constantly watching and sees all these things. And no matter who else sees them, character says, this is who I am. Who am I? I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Think about who you are. You're, the Bible says you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. God's special possession. That's who you are. That's who you are. You're a, you're a daughter of the king. You're a princess. You're a prince. You are in God's family. You've been adopted into God's family. That's who you are. And God is saying, I want you to live that out. Are you going to be perfect? No. You're going to fall short? Yes, you are. But he wants you to keep striving toward that goal. Not that I've already achieved, achieved it. There are, there are things in my life. I'll give you an example. 
When I was, before I was a Christian, a lot of fear in my life. Fear about trying new things because of experience that I had as a child. Trying things new, going to new places, meeting new people was not like, wow, this was awesome, okay? And so you move, you move first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, every year for six, okay, six or seven grades you move every single time. You get this kind of fear that you don't want to try new things. And so that fear was in me. When I came to Christ, I became the person I was designed to be. But you know what? That fear kind of came with me. When I know what I did? I basically said to myself, I will not let fear dictate my destiny. Only God will dictate my destiny. And so I defied my fear. Whatever I was afraid of, I just did it. And I did it and I did it. And, and to this day, I don't let fear dictate my destiny. I overcome, I act on whatever God is calling me to do and not allow my fear to dictate my destiny. But you know what? It's still there. It, 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 it pops up its ugly head every once in a while or consistently. Tries to, And I thought to myself, you know what? Spiritually... I want to overcome the very fear. I don't, not just defy it, kill it. And that's the, that's the road I'm on right now. How do I kill? How do I, how do I go on the offensive to kill that fear? That's where we have to be constantly. Where, no matter where you are spiritually, God is always there wanting you to become the person He's designed and created you to be. I don't accept the fact that Christ cannot overcome anything that you and I have gone through. Don't accept it. We'll not accept it because it's not true. God can help us overcome anything that we've been through. So we need to realize that God wants us through the power of his Holy Spirit to live the lives that he has called us to live. So in the most inward, in the most private part of our lives, he calls us to exercise our faith. We need to train ourselves. Listen, train ourselves to be godly. Why is it so important that we train ourselves inside to be godly? Here's why. In Mark chapter 7 and verse 21, it says this. For from within... Okay, from within, you want to change behavioral patterns. You want to overcome your fear. You want to, you want to break that addiction. You want to stop being controlled by this or that, whatever it is. Here's what it says. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a person unclean. They come from inside. If they come from inside, that means the only way for me to overcome that exhaustive list of things is to exercise my spiritual life in my mind and in my heart, inside, so that when things come out, what comes out is good. What comes out is righteous. What comes out is holy. When you're struggling in your spiritual life, you need to realize that's what he's talking about here. We cannot accomplish what God has called us to accomplish if we don't deal with this. The problem is you don't hear it very often because now everyone's afraid to offend everyone else. In the church, oh, this is a tough sermon. What if people leave? What if it makes people uncomfortable? I don't want to, seriously, I don't want to just me personally make you uncomfortable, but I, I do want the word of God to make you uncomfortable. I do, because you cannot stay, I cannot stay where I am. 
I, I would consider myself spiritually mature, but man, I have such a long way to go. Because as I keep digging, I keep finding things, and to me, I'm like, no, it is not acceptable. I am not going to submit myself to this. This is from the enemy, woven into the fabric of my life from childhood. I refuse to succumb to it. Not just defy it, I want to kill it. I want to eliminate it. And I'll keep you up to date on how I'm doing. I really will. We all are a different place in our spiritual journey. But we should never stop seeking to be the person that God has designed us to be. To conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. This is not just a one and done kind of activity, okay? You think, oh yeah, well after this sermon, I got it, I'm going to go. No, it's not a one and done activity. The verb that he used here is present imperative, which means it is ongoing. We've got to keep doing it. It's a command that goes forward. It's a command that is ongoing. We need to train ourselves constantly to be godly every single day, every single moment. We need to be training ourselves to be godly. It's a command that is ongoing. It will never end until you take your last breath and you get your glorified body. It's an ongoing command. Now, when we say godly, I wanted to kind of tell you what that means. It describes a life that is honoring to God. We need to live lives that are honoring to God. It means that we're trying, we're trying to be like Him. Living a life of love and of, of purity and of, of genuineness and of kindness, and of mercy, and of grace. We're trying to be more like Him. That's when I, when I use the word godly, that's exactly what I mean. Godly does not mean perfect. Christ-like, it doesn't mean perfect. We're not going to be perfect here and now. What it means is that we are pressing forward to become more like Christ each and every day. So it doesn't, it's not about being perfect. We can't be perfect. It means that we struggle Toward perfection. I just explained to you what I'm trying to do. That is going to be a struggle. You just don't. I'm literally trying to rewire, okay, the chemical reactions in my brain. How's that? Right? That's what it is. Pavlov's dogs, right? Something happens and that's what you react to it. I'm going to, I'm trying to rewire my brain to think a different way. That is, an on, that is an ongoing, I'm struggling toward perfection. It means we're doing the best that we can to live a life that pleases our God. I'm not sure how far I'll get, but I'll be darned if I don't try. Because I believe that God is powerful and can do all things. And He's not, He wants us, you know, He doesn't want us to stay where we are. He wants us, he'll take us as we are, but he doesn't want us to stay as we are. And there's a constant, there is a constant path that we need to be on of trying to become more like our Savior Jesus Christ. And here's the reason why. In 1 Timothy 4a, I'm going to read it again. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Exercise is good for everyone, right? It's good for all of us. It has value inside for our inside, our heart, right? Our, our inner body It has value there and for our outside our body. It has, Paul says, it has some value. It does. It has some value. But here's the thing. No matter how hard you all work out, no matter how hard I work out, no matter how um, diligent your routine is, okay? Something's going to happen at some point in your life. What is it? 
you're going to die. <laughs> okay? I can, you know, I'm CrossFit, whatever. People do CrossFit. I kind of work out in there. My own little, I have my own routine. And I work out. I try to do it as often as I can. But you know what? At some point, at some point, with all the effort I put in, no matter how diligent I am, I, believe it or not, your, your loving pastor, okay, is going to croak. Okay? I'm going the way of the dodo bird. It doesn't matter what, what I do because it doesn't have, that doesn't have eternal value. Spiritual training, on the other hand, produces a godly life. It has eternal value. It says for all things. Paul says for all things because it has value in this life, allowing me to honor God with my life. Right? I am honoring God. I'm trying to be godly. I'm trying to be set apart for Him. So, and that in turn impacts the lives of people all around me. I can impact though I was just got back from Nigeria because of the life that I cho- have chosen to live, a life that is trying to honor God and put people before myself. Other people's lives are impacted as well. Their lives are changed as well. That's a really cool thing. On top of that, spiritual training, spiritual training has value also for the life to come in the new heaven and the new earth. Paul says it has value for all things, physical, emotional, spiritual, all of it, all of it. Okay, so we're, I'm going to stop there for a second. I'm going to switch gears. Okay, for the remainder of our time, what I want to do is talk about how we train, how, how, because I'm saying we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. Okay, but how do we train ourselves to be godly? What is it that we can do to train ourselves to be godly? Okay, so how do we how do we develop the type of godly character that stays true to God when no one else is watching? How do we develop the kind of godly character that will stay true to God? How do I do that even when no one else is watching? Because that's really what we're talking about here. Let me share three principles. All right, three principles. Number one, make a commitment. This is like shocking to you, isn't it? See how deep I get with all of you? Make uh, you, 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 We laugh, but I thought about this. I laughed at it too, and I thought to myself, wait a second, how many people actually make a commitment? Remember what, remember what David said to Solomon? We talked about it last week. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, be strong. Listen, show yourself a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his way and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. Okay, so he's telling him, make a commitment, son. You need to make a commitment. And then in Psalm 119, 106, it tells us, I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. He makes a commitment. We need to make a spiritual commitment to be godly. Seriously, put that in your mind right now. You're, you're saying to yourself, I need to make a spiritual commitment to be godly. I need to do that. I need to, I need to make that a part of my life. I need to choose. I need to choose. What you're saying is I need to choose to try to be godly every single day with your friends. When, next time you go out, all your friends, and you know, not all your friends are, are followers of Christ, and I totally understand that. But here's the thing. If you say, I'm going to make a commitment to godliness, if you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you can't follow them. You have to follow him. And when they go down this path, you have to. I'm not, I'm not like, this is just reality. If, if they're going down this path, you have to go down this path because you've made a commitment. 
You're saying you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that, that choosing that godliness has to happen every single day. I mean, think about it. Have you ever, and don't answer just out loud, but think about it. Have you ever made a commitment to live a godly life? You say, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I know. But have you ever, ever sat down with the Lord and made a commitment to live a godly life? Have you ever made that a priority? You think about it. You say you want to lose weight. You make that a priority, right? You eat certain things. You do certain things. You make it a priority. You know, here comes 2020. And you're my, I'm, this, week, this year, I'm going to exercise more because my doctor says my heart and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to, you've made it, you're making a commitment to lose weight. You're making a commitment to be more healthy. When you got that job, you made a commitment, okay, that you're going to be the best that you can be and you're going to rise up that ladder. When you went out for that team, you did what you needed to do. You went through the drills over and over and over and over and over because you committed that you want to be able to hit that soccer ball and bounce it and bounce it and hit it in your head and hit it with the back of your foot and do this kind of... You, you made a commitment that you'd be able to do that. But then... Have we made a commitment to, we're Christians for goodness sake, right? I'm not, and don't hear me criticizing. I'm just, I was sitting asking myself, how many, how many times have you even heard about making a commitment to being godly? That's what we need to do. We need to make a commitment to being godly. And the Bible says in James 4, 7, submit yourselves, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James is saying commitment will help you resist the enemy, okay? It will help you resist the enemy and find victory in your desire to be more Christ-like, in your desire to live a holy life, in your desire for spiritual maturity. If you, if you commit to these things, you will achieve these things. Guaranteed promise. It will happen. Number two, make self-reflection a part of every area of your life, okay? Everyday life. I'm going to use Daniel as an example. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 1 tells us that the Jews have been exiled, okay, have been taken into Babylon, right? So you have, you have now, so, so during this transition time, work with me on this, okay? During this transition times, no one's really watching what's going on here. They had every opportunity to compromise their belief, in God, their beliefs, they had every opportunity. They have now been exiled. They're now being taken into Babylon. There's no more temple to go to. There are no more priests to answer to. There's no one to answer to. They're in exile. This is a transition time. They have every opportunity to compromise their beliefs, compromise their faith. Most probably did, but not Daniel. Daniel did not compromise his integrity. Daniel would not compromise his character, who he was. Not his reputation, his character. He's being taken to another land and he would not compromise his character. Let me share three things that Daniel did that will help you in your own quest for godliness, okay? For holiness. Three things that he did. First, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He resolved 
not to defile himself. Daniel, Daniel in, implemented what I call the principle of prior choice. If you're younger especially, please listen to what I'm saying here. The principle of prior choice. The word resolved in the Hebrew, what it means is that they would decide long before that temptation would come what they were going to do if they had to face it. So long before they actually faced the temptation, they had the principle of prior choice. What am I going to do given this situation? They think ahead. That's resolved. Daniel's going to Babylon. What's going to be happening in Babylon? Well, here's what I'm not going to do when I get to Babylon. He already decided that. That's resolved. And we need to have that same resolve. We need to make that same choice. Because if you don't, okay, the principle of prior choice says, decide beforehand what you're going to do in a certain situation. Because if you don't, you're usually going to compromise. Someone invites you to a party a couple weeks from now. And you're about a week or two away from the party. It's going to be a great party. Everyone's going to be there. You've got to be there, right? You've got to be there. You've got to start asking yourself, what am I going to do? What, what will I do if blank? What will I do if they ask me to blank? Fill in the blank, guys. Fill in the blank. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's some drugs people are bringing in, underage, whatever. Um, whether they go in the basement. Let's go down the basement. Some parents are not, excuse me, but bright enough to realize you put a bunch of people down in the basement and let them turn the lights off and watch a movie. Something, something usually happens. And it's not the movie, okay? So what are you going to do if you find yourself in that situation? You need to resolve right now. You need to choose right now. How, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond if this happens to me? I remember one business guy telling me, He'd go on business trips and he went all the time. And he said what he would do is take a picture of his family with him and put it on top of the TV when he got in his hotel room. He determined beforehand what he was going to do. That helped him keep focused, okay, with all the temptations that are all around him. Second, Daniel spoke, okay. Daniel spoke his intentions aloud. This is so important. And I mean, again, whether you're, whether you're 14 or, or 104, okay, he spoke his intentions aloud. Listen to what I'm saying. The moment Daniel found out what kind of food and what kind of wine they were expecting him to drink in the palace, because now he is a part of the palace, you know what I mean, that whole, that whole crowd there. The moment he found out what they expected him to eat and what they expected him to drink, he went to the chief official and said, hey, listen, I, 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 I can't eat this. I can't, I can't drink this. He said right up front, he told them, he was asking permission. He said, would you please, he was respectful. He said, would you please give me permission not to eat and to drink what you're offering me? He didn't want to break God's law. Listen to what I'm saying. He didn't want to break God's law. He didn't want to defile himself. But honestly, let's think about it, okay? Why would, why should he even care? Guys, there was no one around to keep the man accountable. Why should he even care? Let's just put it in our terms, okay? When in Rome, baby. He's in Babylon. There's no temple. There are no priests. There's no pastors. There's no parents. There's no one to tell you what to do, what not to do. All right? When in Rome. Hey, let me tell you something. What happens in Babylon stays in Babylon. 
What happens in Babylon, it stays in Babylon. Why should he even care? Why would he even care? Why would he, he, there's no accountability, but he makes his intentions known. He says them. He speaks his intentions out loud. Here's what he did. Write this down, okay? This is so important. He created the accountability. He didn't need a priest or he didn't need anybody to tell him anything. He himself created the accountability. I go traveling, I go to like Nigeria, I go on vacation, we all go on planes, right? And you're on a plane and now they give you a seat wherever you're, you can't sit next to your family half the time, and they put you on a plane. And I'm sitting on a plane, and a, a nice person, a woman comes and sits down next to me. Happened to me 50 times, right? And they ask you a simple question, oh, where are you going? Is this for business or pleasure? And blah, 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 and they start talking to you. I start the conversation out 98% of the time, unless I can't say it in a way that will sound really dumb if I say it this way. But I'll, I start off with, I'm a pastor, and every single time, if I can, I will weave in, within the first minute of the conversation, they will know I'm a pastor. I create the accountability. Change the, and it always, the conversation's wonderful after that. Everybody knows. You know why? Because everyone knows where I stand. You create the accountability right up front. I don't give off any impression that I'm interested in anyone other than my wife ever. I create the accountability. That's what, I, I'm following Daniel's example. That's what Daniel did. He created the accountability. Listen, we need to make people aware of our convictions and our values right up front. Right up front, go to work, you go to school, you go whatever. If they're they're around you for more than a day, they should know who you are and they should have the expectation of what you will do and what you won't do. That's what Daniel did. He made them aware of his convictions and values right up front. We need to speak truth. We need to share our convictions and let people know who we are right away. Who are a character? Who you are? Let people know right away when you're, new, when you're in a new environment. Let people know who you are right away. Third, Daniel had confidence in his God. He had confidence in God. Daniel asked the chief priest, the, I mean the chief official. He said, he, he said, uh, test me. He said, test me along with my friends for ten days. Do this for me, he said. And he, again, he was respectful. Just give me water and give me vegetables, fruit, things like that. Just give me those things. And then let's see what happens. Daniel was confident that his God was going to reward his faithfulness. Daniel was confident that God would reward their faithfulness in what they were trying to do. And when the ten days was over, Daniel and his friends were healthy than everyone else who ate the choices of food from the palace, from the royal palace. They were in the best shape. They were in absolutely the best shape. We need to have confidence that our God, our God is going to reward us for our faithfulness. The, let, me, let me, I wish I could look everyone in the eye, okay? The Christian life is the best life to live. I'm going to tell you why the only way you can be happy is to be holy next week. You want to be happy. You know what? I want you to be happy. You know what's really amazing? God, Jesus Christ, the Beatitudes, okay, said, blessed, which means happy are those who what? 
who walk in his ways, who, who try to become the person he designed them to be. You will find everything your heart desires through what I'm talking about right here. The world is going to pitch you everything else, guys. It's going to pitch you on, you've got to be kidding. This guy's talking about holiness. He's talking about being set apart for God. He's telling you not to go in the basement. You know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen down there. It's going to be awesome. You, and you try this and you, you're, going to have, you're not going to be able to do any of the things that are really fun until you're 45 and your life's been totally trashed because of all the fun things you did. You're not happy. I'd love to go around the world and all these people are doing all these things apart from what God has designed and created them to do. And I'm not being a legalist here. I'm just looking at reality. I'm sorry. I don't see people running around very happy. They're rich. They're not happy. They're famous. They're not happy. They have everything at their disposal and they're not happy. Why? Because there's only one way to truly find happiness, joy, peace and contentment. And it is through a relationship with Christ and to try to become like him. That leads to completeness. It leads to everything your heart desires. You will have, you will have the love that you've never even, you could never even think you could experience. But it takes walking a path of holiness, not another path, not another dangling carrot, not another temptation, not another whatever to get you to just, oh, dear. listen, I love you. I'm right. They're wrong. I promise before I promise you, I am 100 percent right. I'm 100% right, because I'm speaking from what God is, God's word. I'm, they're 100% wrong on what leads to happiness. 100% wrong. You will be miserable, you're being led down a hole, and your, your life can be ruined so quickly. We need to strive to become people like Daniel who are standing for truth. We need to have confidence that God is faithful and that God will, he will reward our, our, our faithfulness. We need to have, we need to have a, we need to have conviction. We need to have passion to live lives that honor God. And if you don't, you gotta ask yourself why. Where is my conviction? Where is my passion to live? I say I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Where is the conviction? Where is the passion to live a life that honors my God? Because that's all that matters. It's you and Him at the end of the day. In the beginning, in the middle, and at the end, it's going to be you and Him. You need to live. I don't care how old you are. You need to live to an audience of one. And I don't care what it costs you in school. Because at the end of the day... At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you're going to be, your character, your character will be the only thing that matters. Your character will lead you into the relationships that you want to be in. Your character will be what you're left with when you're laying on your deathbed and you're about to face God. It will be your character that matters. Now, I know I'm taking this series to a new level. But I also know if you make this commitment this morning to be set apart for God, he will walk with you every step of the way. It will not come from your own power, will not come from your own whatever. It will come from the power of God working through you. Say, I'm not, there's no way I can accomplish. What did I say in the very beginning? Okay, this is not going to happen overnight. This is a process. It's a process. It's going to take time. 
Proverbs 22, 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. We need to remember again that God loves us so much. He cares so much for us. He's so patient with us that he will walk us through this every step of the way. It, it, again, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not just a one-time thing. It's called sanctification. It's an ongoing process. God is working through you. And here's what, here's what he expects of you. Hear me? He expects you to go from this part of your life and the season of your life to the very end. And all he's expecting is baby steps. He's expecting baby steps. I don't care where you are in your spiritual journey. He's just expecting baby steps. And when you fall backward, you ask for forgiveness. We've got forgiveness through Christ and we take baby steps. That's what God is asking us to do. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be discouraged. And don't be lied to by the enemy that you're not capable of this. Tell me you're not capable in 40 years. Okay? You are. And if we just take baby steps, we can accomplish all that God has for us. Okay, I want to stop there. I want you to bow your heads with me. Here's what I want you to do. During our time of communion, as we close out here, during our time of communion, I want you to spend time in prayer making a commitment to live a godly life. Do not forget what I'm saying right now. As we take communion, instead of just talking about making a commitment, the first thing we talked about, making a commitment, right? I want you to make a commitment to live a godly life. That you're going to try, to the best of your ability, with God's help, to live a godly life. I want you to reflect. Here's what you want to do. This is what communion is all about. It's reflecting on what Jesus Christ has done for you. I want you to reflect on what Jesus did for you and ask God to help you to fulfill that commitment. Because it's only through the power of God. It's only through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that flows through your veins, brothers and sisters, in Christ. It's only through that power that we can accomplish it. So make the commitment to live a godly life, and during this time of communion, ask God to help you fulfill that commitment.